You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Peck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of BTL. Thank you for joining us on this Thursday. A lot to talk about. We're a couple days away from UFC Vegas 64. We're nine days away from UFC 281. Five days removed from a very busy past weekend in the world of combat sports. In boxing, mixed martial arts. A lot to talk about with this wonderful panel. So let's get into it. First, let us say hello once again to Mr. No Gray Area, the winningest player in BTL history. But this is a quote-unquote exhibition matchup. So technically... The BTL retirement stands, but he's at least on the program. It's like someone retiring from MMA and then doing a grappling match, right? Mr. Jed Mishu from MMAfighting.com. Two weeks in a row, my man. How are you? Exactly. You know, when Ryzen offers Floyd Mayweather a big bag of money, he says, okay, sure. And, you know, when you offer me the big bag of money to come on, I'm like, well, I guess, you know, who can't use a big bag of money, especially since I didn't win the lotto last night which is obviously crap. I clearly should have won, so I needed the big bag of money. Well, uh, my bank account is less, but I'm happy to see you. And joining him, a man whose Twitter notifications exploded the last time he appeared on the show. Hot takes galore. We're coming from this man on the road to the 2022 award show on BTL. You can go back into the archives and check that out from MMAfighting.com. A man who will defend until the end of time the greatness of Halloween ends, Mr. Damon Martin. Hello, Mr. Damon Martin. Yeah, I will definitely not do that. I will defend <laughs> that that movie is a giant piece of garbage uh, that shouldn't have been made. But yeah, I'm here. And uh, it was the last time Jed wasn't here, so I had to become Mr. Hot Take. And yeah, my mentions went insane afterwards. So, you know, I had to, I had to take up the mantle. I had, to just, I had to try to do Jed justice. You did great. Somebody's got to do it. You know, the game ain't in me no more, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you stepped up, Damon. Well, maybe we'll have to do another tournament with the big bag of money as the prize, and maybe we'll get you back in. But let's get into this thing. And look, the thumbnail image that you see, it's obviously a big talking point, but that's not where we're starting. We're going to start with the very confusing UFC featherweight division in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. It continues to be a really tough division to navigate, especially up the top, as we saw with UFC Vegas 63 this past Saturday. Arnold Allen versus Calvin Cater, the main event. Everyone was fired up and excited to see if Arnold Allen could take that next step up. What Calvin Cater could do. Could one of these guys emerge? Perhaps have Alexander Volkanovsky get excited enough to stay at 145. And the fight ends with an injury TKO. Cater hurts his knee. Arnold Allen looked very, very solid in the first round. But that's not anything new for an opponent of Calvin Cater, who ended up with just a nasty knee injury, causes the end of the fight. So, Damon, we'll begin with you. We've seen a lot of these injury stoppages over the years. We've got two in back-to-back featherweight main events. The champion, Alexander Volkanovsky, like I mentioned earlier, if he had any doubts about jumping up to 155, I don't think he has any anymore. So your reaction to the ending of that fight and Arnold Allen's win? It's just really unfortunate. You know, Arnold Allen has been snake bitten by so many weird things in his career, injuries that have kept him out where he was, you know, sitting on the sidelines for such a long time. He comes back and starches Dan Hooker, has a big win. And then, 
you, know, you think, okay, here's his chance to really going to step into the limelight, get a main event, you know, maybe book a fight coming up in March when the UFC goes back to England, something like that. And then, you know, freak injury ends it. And it's unfortunate because Calvin Cater is as tough as they come. You know, Calvin Cater, and I know a lot of people won't like to hear this, but Calvin Cater is kind of like the gatekeeper to that top five. Like when you get through, if you get through Calvin Cater, you are a legit title contender. And, you know, we've seen that time and again, he's a really, really tough out. Just unfortunate it went that way. And so now we have, you know, even less clarity than we did before. You think about if Arnold Allen would have gone out and just, you know, destroyed or beaten Calvin Cater dominantly, that he could have jumped the line and said he's the number one contender over Josh Emmett and everybody else. But, you know, unfortunately, when that injury happens, it does it, it doesn't negate the win, but we can't deny that it happened. We can't ignore it. Um, so now we're stuck in a situation where Alexander Volkanovsky has every reason in the world to go up to 155 pounds while the rest of the division plays out and, and they try to find him a legit number one contender. Cause right now, just being honest, there isn't one. Jed, we talked about this on the post fight show in the immediate aftermath of this, but now that five extra days have gone by, how do you digest the ending of that fight? Are Allen's performance, even his subsequent interviews afterwards, he was on the MA hour recently. What do we think? It's a good question. Good question. Thank you for the question, Mike. Uh, I feel pretty much the same. I don't think there's a way to to. Uh, there's not a nuanced or a fun or a hot takey way to approach this. It is what it is, right? Like he he wins the fight. We can't take that away from him, but he doesn't win it in the way that you wanted him to win it. There is obviously some level of mitigation. Interesting that the UFC rankings panel has decided that Calvin Cater does not go beneath Arnold Allen in their rankings, <laughs> but neither here nor there. That's not a rankings that matter. So, you know, it is what it is in that regard. It's unfortunate. The featherweight division is very unfortunate. This doesn't change anything. I want to be extremely clear about this, though, because there has been, and you mentioned it, a little bit of this narrative of, well, now Volk doesn't have a reason to stay. Volk was never going to fight the winner of this fight. Like it was never going to happen because he wants and is going to get a lightweight title opportunity. So all we got out of here is the same we would have gotten if Arnold Allen had won cleanly, or I guess, you know, had Calvin Cater won the fight. The winner of this fight is going to fight somebody else potentially for an interim title, but almost certainly for that number one contender spot. So even though it came about in an unfortunate way, we, we got to the result that we were going to get to regardless in, in Arnold Allen's, not defense, but maybe if you're trying to look for a silver lining because the fight was short, he didn't get injured in this. So now he gets to move forward. He gets to face Yair Rodriguez or Josh Emmett for a number one contenders fight, probably at the UFC London return show, that pay-per-view in March. Sir Allen's comments afterwards, it's what you can expect from Allen, right? He... He's not going to do the thing because that's not who he is. If the man could do the thing, he would probably already be fighting for a title right now. But that's not who he is. So he is going to Leon Edwards his way into a title shot after 12 wins. And that's he's good enough to get him. So I guess that's a that's a path, even if it's he's not doing himself any favors. All right. So let's try to figure this out. Let's put on our matchmaking hats because Volkanovsky, we've talked about this for a couple weeks now even longer for being honest he's been saying please for the love of god do an interim title fight i want you to do it just give me 
a confirmed number one contender for crying out loud. And they may just do that now. I don't know. But we have three names in the mix, it appears. And Jed, we'll start with you. We have Yair Rodriguez, who since the win over Brian Ortega in somewhat similar fashion than Arnold Allen's has done not the thing. He's done Yair Rodriguez things where he has shunned the idea of fighting for an interim title altogether. He wants Volk. He only wants Volk and he will wait forever to get Volk. And then we have Josh Emmett with five wins in a row. He's been bit by the injury bug at times during the stretch. He actually deserves a lot of credit for all of these injuries he's come back from, but in most people's minds, the win over Calvin Cater earlier this year, not a lot of people thought he won that fight. And then we have Arnold Allen, 12 wins in a row. He's 10 and 0 in the UFC back-to-back stoppage wins on paper. What do we do here? Like, how do we book this division now? Who is the odd man out in this interim title discussion? Should the UFC go in this direction? Well, if I had my druthers, this would be really easy. You would book Arnold Allen versus Alexander Volkanovsky because Volk has in no way cleaned out his division. There is a very, very deserving lightweight challenger for the new lightweight champion. And then there's not an odd man out. Volk fights Arnold Allen. And then you put Yair and Emmett together in a number one contender's bout. And it's the easiest thing in the world. It's the most meritocratic thing in the world. Makes all the sense in the world. But we've all just, we're all living under the combined illusion that like Alexander Volkanovsky just needs to have a lightweight title fight. Uh, But whatever. I'm not bitter that this very stupid thing that's going to ruin a lot of things (laughs) is going to happen. Cool, cool, cool. All for a fight where he's going to get absolutely curb stomped. Like it's cool. All right, let's spend six months doing this instead of actually like doing the thing you said you wanted to do, which was clean out your division and fight all these contenders. Screw the, screw the, make a, make a case for pick one, pick one champions do it all the time. And you, you could do a lot worse than picking a guy on a 10 fight win streak. Like that is, it's not a hard thing to do. That's what I would say should happen. It's not what's going to happen. Folks going to go lose to Islam. He's going to spend eight months doing that. And then we're going to get, uh, honored Allen, my assumption is that it goes on and on Yair Rodriguez and they just come and talk to Yair and are like, hey, man, don't care. I don't care what you think you are owed or deserve. Here are your options. You can take this fight. It's in for an interim belt. And if you don't take it, we're going to Josh Emmett. And under those circumstances, Yair is going to have to balk. He's going to have to check up and be like, oh, well, I guess I can't wait for Volk if there's already an interim belt made. That's just not going to work for me. So I think we're going to get that, and then Emmett's going to fight like – I would say it would make more sense for Emmett to fight the winner of Mitchell Tapuria, that fight that's coming up. But I think there's also a very real possibility where he fights Max Holloway because Max will just get rid of the Josh Emmett problem because that's what Josh Emmett is. Josh Emmett didn't beat Calvin Cater. He's not actually a, like a real title contender that we should give credit to because he lost to Cater. And Max will will take care of that problem for us because Max is a problem solver. Damon, what say you? Uh, first off, I did score Josh Emmett beating Calvin Cater, so sorry to ruin that uh, delusion for you, Chad. We found I the one. Cal- I, I, we found I the one Josh guy. Emmett won that fight. Uh, that being said, it, it should be, listen, I, I do agree with one thing in theory, it should be, you know, Alexander Volkanovsky against the number one contender in the division. And based on results right now, probably is Arnold Allen, but again, we're not going to get that. We are going to get, you know, Islam Makachev and, uh, and, and Alexander Volkanovsky for whatever reason that fight's going to happen. So we're moving on. 
the fight to make, if you're going to do an interim title, and I, I said this the other day, and I don't like interim titles. I've never liked interim titles. But in this case, it might actually slightly make sense only because if Volkanovski fights Makachev in February, chances are he's not going to come back and defend his title again until you know, the, the latter half of 2023 because I don't see the Islam Makachev fight going very well for him. Uh, and maybe he gets Kamord in the first round and he's, he's okay to come back quicker, but I just don't see that happening. So he's going to be out for a while. So maybe in that way you justify an interim title. That's the, uh, that's the best case, by the way, because if he, if he wins, he's never defending his belt. <laughs> yeah, that too, that too. But so hypothetically he goes out, loses, and then it's six months before he fights again. And then you just have the featherweight division being held up. So in that case, I think the fight to make is Josh Emmett against Arnold Allen. And here's why. Josh Emmett, like him or hate him, and you can say he lost to Calvin Cater, it was a close fight with Calvin Cater, whatever, but he is on a bit of a winning streak, and of course Arnold Allen's on a better winning streak. The problem with Yair Rodriguez, and I brought this up on Twitter the other day, Yair Rodriguez is 3-2 and two with one no contest in his last six fights, and those six fights took place over five years. Yair Rodriguez is like the least active fighter in history who is supposed to be getting an interim title. He's coming off... Uh, an injury win over Brian Ortega coming off a loss to Max Holloway. He had a win and another loss. I mean, the guy is not active enough to actually justify this. He, he rarely stays healthy enough to compete like that. He's three and two with one no contest over five years. That's ridiculous. Okay. I cannot see and cannot justify putting this guy into an interim title fight, especially when you tack on the idea that he's also said, I'm not fighting anybody. I'm sitting out, sitting out for what you beat Brian Ortega on an injury. What did you earn? You got went out there and got beat by Max Holloway. You're on a one fight win streak. And that one fight came under less than optimal circumstances. What are you, what, how did you, how are you demanding anything? Like, how is this guy demanding anything with his level of activity? So Josh Emmett, Arnold Allen, yes, it may not be the most exciting fight in the world. And listen, Arnold Allen may go out there and curb stomp Josh Emmett. Great. Then you have your legit number one contender, but get Yair Rodriguez. Let him fight some, let him fight the winner of Taporia and, and Mitchell and see if he can actually string together two wins in a row and not sit out for the next three years. I like both of those ideas. I also agree that if Max Holloway is going to fight anybody, it would be Josh Emmett and nobody else. Cause I would keep Max away from Arnold Allen altogether. A hundred percent because Max there's a good chance. Max wins that fight. And then Arnold just takes a big step back and we don't want that. We're trying to move forward here and hopefully that's what happens, but we'll see. I, I would say Allen is going to be one half of this fight because they will Maybe go back to the UK. Criminal. Yeah, he'll be yeah, and they're just gonna add it's this to the, win streak, to the fight. Man. It's a ten fight win streak. Like, I don't. I feel like fans have really come around to just like hate that and be like, "Well, who's it over?" I don't care. I don't care if it's over ten kindergartners. Ten fights in a row <laughs> is impossible to do. That's why nobody does it. That's why it doesn't exist. But so don't respect. don't don't be shocked. Don't be shocked if it ends up being Yair Rodriguez and Josh Emmett just to like really just to piss off Jed because Arnold Allen in the is going to get Darius in the UK. He's going to get he's going to get yeah. Dar- he could there is guarantee there is a chance Arnold Allen gets Darius right now. Right, he absolutely could get Darius where he just he gets the winner of Taporia and Mitchell and they're like, oh yeah, you're going to fight in London. You're going to fight the winner of Bryce Mitchell and Ilya Taporia while Josh Emmett fights cool. Yair Rodriguez. There's 100% chance that could happen. Taporia Allen would be a dope fight though. Like let's, that would let's be, a be dope real fight. about it. That fight would be really fun. All right. Last, last thing on this before we move on. Damon, who is the MVP of UFC Vegas 63? <laughs> 
Um, am I allowed to say not us? Is that a, a legit answer? Because <laughs> you can say whatever you was, want. The card was bad. I mean, this card was, I mean, so we, we obviously, I, I had an idea we were going to be talking about this card ahead of time. So I'm like looking at the card and like kind of remembering what happened. And I mean, goodness gracious, this card was awful. I mean, this was a bad, bad, bad card. I guess if, if you're going to force me to pick one fighter, and say like he's the MVP, so to speak. I mean, the, the only answer is Arnold Allen because he actually went out there and got a win in the main event, I guess. But if I have to go somewhere else, I'm going to go completely out of left field and say uh, Roman Delize for going out there and just demolishing Phil Hawes in absolutely vicious fashion. And that's two knockouts in a row for Roman. Seems like a really fun guy. Seems like he's kind of picked up his pace a little bit. Uh, I thought he coming in. I thought coming into the UFC was a pretty good prospect. Had that weird loss to Trevor Giles and uh, has now won, I think, three in a row. Uh, on a on a barren wasteland of a card, I thought he had the most impressive performance. So I'll go that. But I my answer is not us because that card was terrible. It was a bad card to start with. Uh, this is another example of the UFC just throwing anything out there and saying, "Look, we'll make you watch it." Uh, because there's just nothing. I mean, there's there was nothing memorable happened on this card. The only thing memorable that anyone was even talking about afterwards was the weird decision in the Khalil Roundtree Dustin Jacoby fight. Outside of that. I've not heard one person say anything about this card outside of Arnold Allen. Jed, you uh, you laughed at the question, and then you That's made many facial expressions. So I'm there curious are, what your answer There is. aren't any good MVPs. There's, uh, I will note um, that I don't necessarily disagree with Damon's point uh, or Damon's choices. It is interesting that both of Damon's choices, though, were fights that were marred by horrific knee injuries and cataclysmically bad coaching decisions. So uh, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a minute. Uh, coaches should protect their fucking fighters um, because that Roman deleads a KO, great KO, entirely unnecessary, just didn't need to happen at all because Phil Hawes was done. Phil Hawes' knee was clearly ruined and could not adequately defend himself. And I am willing to apportion blame to the referees as well for not stepping in. But more than that, you get back to the corner, your fighter can't walk because his knee is all jacked up. And you're just like, yeah, well, you know, go on out there. I'm sure that you having one of one limb, one functioning limb is going to really do great things. We saw how bad that was with freaking TJ Dillashaw. We saw the awful, awful KO and brain damage that Phil Hawes took as a result of his corner, not protecting him. And in the main event, I am not a medical professional, but I have to assume that the knee injury that was suffered, I'm almost a thousand percent certain that that is a torn ACL, that Calvin Cater's knee did not improve by him going back out there, stepping on it and having it slide out even worse than it did the first time. Protect your freaking fighters. You guys are the least valuable people. I'd fire you all if I had any option to do so. MVP though, the only person who really... I can't pick Delize because that performance is marred by the horrible, horrible work from Hawes' corner. So for me, if I have to pick one, it's got to be Treshawn Gore because that is a highlight real finish that like as long as Gore is – I think it was AK said this. Uh, maybe it was on, on to the ne next one, your your wonderful program here on MMAfighting.com, great network, great podcast. Uh That Treshawn Gore, as long as he's in the UFC, that is a highlight that will stick – will follow him around. That's going to be on packages forever. So it's, it's slim pickings, but that's gotta be the one as far as I'm concerned. 
let me let me just say real quick uh give credit or credit you're, i agree with everything you're saying jed about the corner work just to just to be just to be fair though delize halls didn't go to the corner it was a first round finish so technically that to me is on the referee more than the corner or they could have thrown in the towel he didn't actually go to the corner it was a first round. now calvin cater right. is a different story calvin cater they should have stopped that between rounds just like tj dillashaw the fact that they let him go out for a second round is egregious uh but i agree in theory what you're saying about phil halls too neither the corner should have thrown in the towel or the referee should have stopped the fight but in in calvin cater's defense there is no defense for that one like he was done his knee was done he was not as you say he was not going to suddenly get better coming out in the second round so i completely don't repair themselves or whatever (laughs) like it's just not uh it was a really frustrating card is the overall point (laughs) this card was awful to watch of course, uh, best wishes to Calvin Cater. Hope the injury isn't too, too serious. Nothing but positivity it, heading his way. So. But uh, let's move on to the other big event from this past weekend, and it is not Bellator Milan. The point for round one goes to... How is it not Bellator Milan? <laughs> Damon Martin. One to nothing in this exhibition matchup. I will say shouts to Bellator Milan. Their pacing was actually not awful. That's what I heard. For, for I whatever heard. it's worth. Their main good. card pacing was pretty reasonable. <laughs> it counts for a lot, man. When it's fights that no one cares about, at least do them quick. <laughs> yep. So I know people, I'm sorry, but we have to talk about Jake Paul. We're going to put a bow on this whole thing, and hopefully we don't have to talk about Jake Paul boxing on this program for a few months at least, but he goes out on Saturday in Glendale, Arizona. Defeats Anderson Silva, unanimous decision, gets the late knockdown in the eighth round, and he goes out and gets it done in a pretty fun fight. So, Jed, we'll start with you. How do you grade Jake Paul's performance, and how do you grade the fight as a whole? Uh, A minus, maybe a straight A, some somewhere in that range. Uh, it's the best he's ever looked boxing uh, by a lot, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I thought he, I, I had Anderson Silva up four to three heading into the last round. Jake Paul got the knockdown and won the round and on my scorecard took the fight. Uh, I, I recognize that on the official scorecards, Jake was already up and, and was going to win. And I don't have a huge issue with that. Um, I don't think it's great, but it's fine. Uh, but yeah, he, he looked the best he has ever looked boxing. And you can make excuses and say, well, Anderson Silva's 50 or whatever. And some of that has some bear, like some basis in reality. But the fact is Jake Paul has improved leaps and bounds and he showed it by, he is still very raw in a lot of respects, right? Like he doesn't work in huge combinations. His defense is pretty minimal. Um, and when Silva would put him under fire, he was not all the way comfortable, but he didn't panic. Uh, that's how he got the knockdown in the last round as Silva was really pressing him and he kept his wits about him, landed a short right hand. That was great. Uh, the things that I'm taking away from this fight are, I knew Jake Paul was putting an effort and he was making a reasonable effort at it. And that's to be commended. He is really, really focused on working on this. He's never going to be a world champion. Came at the game too light, frankly, for that. But if you if you are actively committed to this and you're sinking millions of dollars into your prep and are reasonably athletic, you can do some things. And that's what we're seeing because I thought Anderson Silva was going to win this fight largely by being more experienced, by having layered defense, and by Jake Paul kind of not knowing what to do. But he had a really good game plan. He worked the body very, very well. 
and he just affected a game plan. They clearly said, we know Anderson Silva is going to give up some rounds. You're going to have to survive the storms when he comes, but in the interim, you need to work. You need to get at the get at the body, get the jab going, just stay busy and outland him. And they didn't come out headhunting like he had done in other fights, which was great because if you come out headhunting, he's going to gas himself out. He's not going eight rounds. He he had a great game plan. He stuck to his game plan. It's just a good performance. Like there's nothing you you cannot take anything away from that performance. And if at this point you're looking at him and saying, "Well, he's shit," maybe in the con like in the confines of legitimate A level pro boxers, okay. But like for what he is, he's very very good for what he is and what he's doing. So props to the man. Still don't like him as a person, but he's really working hard, and he might even be growing up from you know the chip bag little twenty year old he was. We're all, none none of us are great people in our early twenties. Maybe he's maybe he's maturing. Who can say, Mike? Well, that'll be a thirty for thirty someday. Damon, what say you? Yeah, I'm I'm with Jed on pretty much everything there. I mean, listen, he went out there and, and beat you know Anderson Silva. I mean, I picked Anderson Silva to win the fight, uh, so I can't sit here. You know, I hate the idea that everyone said. Anderson Silva was going to be Jake Paul's toughest test. And then when Jake Paul wins, you say, oh, Anderson Silva's 47. He's old. He's slow. He's this, he's that. You can't do that. You can't in one breath say it's his toughest fight. Then the next breath say he's he's overrated and, and, and all these other kind of things. Anderson Silva went out and beat a legit boxer in Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. We could talk all day about how legit C- Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. is, but the reality is Anderson Wrong. Silva beat him and, and beat him going away. Um Jake Paul had a good fight. I'm much like Jed. I had Anderson up one round going into that final round. Jake got a 10, eight round in the final round. He won the fight. Uh, It was a solid fight, close rounds. I thought Anderson in typical Anderson fashion kind of gave away some rounds. He kind of played with his food a little bit. And maybe if he had been a little bit more aggressive, he could have gotten some of those rounds back. Uh, But also again, you know, I think there was a real fear of the counter power coming from Jake, uh, from uh, Jake Paul. You can, argue about how good of a boxer he is but you can't deny that he actually does have legitimate punching power and a lot of people have punching power it doesn't mean they're good boxers um it was a good next step for him i mean anderson listen anderson silva may never be a champion he may never be a you know tremendous boxer and then you know in that kind of level but you know when people talk about jake hasn't fought uh you know a pro boxer yet come on people like anderson like something that bj flores said on the mma hour yesterday i told i said this before he said it i said you put Anderson Silva in the ring with Tommy Fury. He tools Tommy Fury. He dismantles Tommy Fury. Tommy Fury is awful. If you've watched Tommy Fury box, he is awful. He is a terrible, terrible boxer. But because he has a 9-0 pro record, somehow he's a more legitimate fighter than Jake Paul. It's ridiculous. Jake Paul has fought better competition six fights into his career than most pro boxers. Uh, Anderson Silva is legit. Is he a, a world champion level boxer? No, but nobody's facing world champion level boxers in their sixth pro fight. I said this on Twitter earlier. Canelo Alvarez didn't fight a winning opponent, opponent with a winning record till his 13th pro fight. I think Terrence Crawford, it was like 15 fights. These guys are, are getting, that's how boxers build their resumes. They go out and fight guys. They pick out of a lineup at a swap beat and then they go beat them and they build their record of 15 and 0. And then they start getting legit competition. For what Jake Paul's doing, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's just doing it on a bigger stage, and it pisses people off because everyone's talking about it. But legitimately, he's fighting decent, you know, decent enough competition for six fights in his career. And Anderson Silva's not a bad opponent. He went out there and did what he was supposed to do, won a good fight, showed improvements. 
he, he showed he's a much better boxer now than he was 10 months ago when he fought Tyron Woodley. Uh, and he did what he, he did what he had to do and he got the win. People who don't want to give Jake Paul credit are just not wanting to give him credit because they dislike Jake Paul, not because he's just an objectionably terrible boxer. He's not great and he'll never be a world champion. And let's stop. Don't even mention Canelo Alvarez. You're never going to beat him. Come on. It's ridiculous. Uh, but you know, can he beat Anderson Silva? Yeah, he did. And Anderson Silva's a pretty good guy, pretty good boxer. I'd rather see Kamaru Usman box Canelo Alvarez. I'm just kidding. But heading into this fight, Damon, well beyond, probably since December of last year, and definitely in the build of UFC 279 and beyond, this fight was with Anderson Silva for Jake Paul was a hurdle to get to a potential fight with Nate Diaz. Of course, Diaz was in the building. He was in the building in December in Tampa as well. There was an issue with Paul's team in the back. Stockton slaps were thrown. Water bottles were thrown. This whole idea has been building for a hot minute now. But I feel like where people were heading in and where they are now, much different. I feel like people have soured on this idea since Saturday. So do you agree with that, Damon? Are you interested at all right now in seeing Jake Paul versus Nate Diaz in a boxing match next? If it's possible to put together because... He's not completely free from the UFC by all accounts, but you know what I'm trying to say here. First off, anytime Team Diaz is in the building, don't give them water bottles, okay? Give them like the the concert thing where you have to take off the cap so they can't actually throw a full water bottle because these dudes love to throw water bottles. Uh, Second, uh, no, I mean, the reality is, and I said this on Saturday and a lot of people, you know, argue with me and other people agreed, but... Nate Diaz is a three to one underdog to Jake Paul. I mean, listen, Anderson Silva is a better boxer than Jay, than Nate Diaz. And he's also a much bigger boxer than Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz is 155 pounder masquerading as a welterweight. Uh, if, if, if unless Nate Diaz suddenly becomes a bodybuilder and puts on a ton of body mass and everything, he's going to probably walk into a fight with Jake Paul at 175 pounds. Jake Paul, you know, is probably stepping in there at 200 pounds. It's going to be another example of Jake Paul taking on a guy who's overmatched, oversized, and overpowered. Uh, is Nate Diaz a decent boxer for MMA? He seems to have boxing. We've never seen him actually in a boxing match. We can hear all day about how Nate Diaz trains with Andre Ward, and he does all these things in the gym, and he has this, you know, he has a good boxing style. But ultimately, Nate Diaz, you know, has those pitter-patter volume punches uh, that I don't know that that's going to work in, in, a, in a real legitimate boxing match against a guy like Jake Paul, who's going to be that much bigger, that much stronger, hits that much harder. Um, do I want to see it? In theory, I want to see it only because I want Nate Diaz to get a huge bag of money to fight Jake Paul because that's what he wasn't getting in the UFC and he didn't get treated right on his way out of the UFC. We all know that the UFC did him dirty. Uh, I want Nate Diaz to get paid. And if this is the way for him to go out and get a big seven figure payday, a massive payday, and it's going to be a big pay-per-view, go do it. And in that regard, yes, I want to see it because I want Nate Diaz to get paid. On the other side, I don't think the fight goes well for Nate Diaz. I don't think it's really that competitive of a fight. Uh, he's going to be undersized, and and Jake Paul is getting better as a boxer. And now we're asking, a, how old is Nate Diaz? Thirty seven. We're asking a thirty seven year old guy to step in there, you know, and basically boxing for real for the first time uh, against a guy who's been training nonstop for the past couple of three years. I mean, listen, I don't think it's a competitive fight. But if you're asking me if I want to see it, I only want to see it for that one reason, and that's because I want Nate Diaz to get paid. But otherwise, no, he's going to be a three to one underdog, and I don't see the fight going well for him at all. Jed, what do you think? Is this are you are you in on Jake Paul versus Nate Diaz? Couldn't care less. Uh, in my defense, 
I didn't care about this fight before the Anderson Silva fight. Uh, it is just, it, it was obviously a thing that's going to happen. It's the big money draw. And if they want to do it and Nate wants to get a bag of money, who am I to say no? I know that some people have some appetite for it. Uh, I do wonder how much the Anderson Silva fight may have muted uh, some of the broader interest in this. But my guess is Nate's pretty impervious to that sort of drop off in, in attention. So people buy it. It's a thing that's going to happen. That's fine. I have no interest. Uh, Nate Diaz is going to get killed. Um, that's it's just really really obvious. He's not. He has nothing to offer in a boxing ring for, for Jake Paul. Um, and I, I would have said that before Anderson Silva, I thought that was the only downside to the Anderson Silva fight, um, is that it probably takes away some of the shine there, but I also thought Silva was going to win. And if Silva wins, then Nate Diaz looks a little more up to speed, right? Uh, for him. I disagree. I know this might be a little bit of a hot take because it seems like, especially MMA media, a lot of people are coming with this angle of, well, Tommy Fury's a bum and going to get like he he sh- doesn't he's not going to beat Jake Paul. I don't know if he's going to beat Jake Paul. I am way more interested in watching that as far as bad boxing. If I have to watch it, I think that fight is far more competitive than we're giving it credit. Not because Tommy Fury is necessarily a great boxer, but let's be clear again. Jake Paul isn't a great boxer either. And the thing that I want answered now, like I know some things about Jake Paul now. And it's, hey, you beat Anderson Silva. You effectuate a really good game plan. You are serious about this and committed. Like here, these are good things to know about your development and progression. We've just never seen him fight somebody that he doesn't have enormous physical advantages over. And for a lot of it, he was huge and younger and more athletic. And then in Silva, he was at least younger and more athletic, right? Like Anderson Silva's 50 years old. It's just not the same. I can't believe I'm about to say these words, but it is – I was listening to the Impulsive podcast this morning for an article, um, <laughs> and on that, Logan Paul was talking about boxing Floyd Mayweather. I'm not here to get into that specific thing, but he said a quote that's pretty true, honestly, which is uh, – I'm paraphrasing here. He said something like, yeah, man, you know, just – I knew at some points I'd get in there and just – I could look in his eyes and be like, you're 50. You don't really want to do this anymore. (laughs) And like, I'm just younger and and that's the thing. And I think that that is like really true. And I am, again, I'm not taking shit away from that Anderson Silva win. I didn't think he was going to do it. He, He took the fight. He won the fight. Justly full credit to him. But I have no idea how this man fights when he is faced against a man that is his equal. And maybe he is not his equal in skill, but let's not pretend like we don't have to act like Jake Paul is winning by great skill. There is an underlying ability, but it is he is mostly winning off youth and athleticism and some skill mixed in. And it is, but it, he did not beat Anderson Silva because he's a super crafty boxer. Like that's just not there was a piece of that that was not the whole point here. And I am really interested to see what it looks like when the thing he has leaned his entire boxing career upon, the foundation of it is I'm young and I'm athletic and I'm strong. Tommy Fury is also those things and also has a little bit of skill, even if he's not very good. Like, I think that fight actually probably ends up being really fun, honestly. And I would favor Jake Paul because I do think he's better. 
But I think we're going to learn a lot more about how he faces against Tyron Woodley hit him once and hurt him and full credit to him. He recovered Tyron Woodley is Tyron Woodley and the whole it's rigged because Tyron didn't follow up with anything like that's not what's going to happen if Tommy Fury hits him real hard. Tommy Fury is going to keep trying to hit him, and we might get some real interplay and back and forth. I think that fight is the logical next step for him. I think it's much more compelling, much more interesting than Nate Diaz. It is a fight that I would watch if, if you know, I, I'm probably not going to pay the pay-per-view to watch it. But if we're covering it, which we will be, I'll be like, I'll do that one. That seems fun. I'd like to see what's going on here. So that's the fight that makes sense to me. I know we're getting Nate Diaz, though. All right, last thing before we move on. Um, Jake Paul said estimates for the buy rate of this pay-per-view around two to 300,000. He thinks it's it's pretty crappy, disappointing. He believes that the interview that Anderson Silva did where he apparently misspoke about getting knocked out in training, which is weird because I don't think that's the first time he said something like that. Like I thought during one of the early press conferences with Chael Sonnen, he said something similar to that because I remember going – reading it in our Slack channel. Did Anderson Silva just really say that? So I don't think that's the first time he said that. And obviously he clarified it a bunch and the commission had to had a, do a special meeting about it. But but either way, Jed, Jake thinks that this Anderson Silva topic was the reason for the poorish estimated buy rate. Do you agree with that? Or do you think people are just kind of over Jake Paul at this point? It's really tough to feel confident in an answer here. I I take any of their pay-per-view numbers with an enormous grain of salt, uh, if not outright disbelief, just because I, I cannot trust what any of those numbers have been for any of his fights. If you had asked me to ballpark a figure beforehand, I would have said like 400K. Um because the other, like Anderson Silva is a legend and a highly respected dude. He is not an enormous pay-per-view guy. Like he never was. He in the UFC, I, I pulled his numbers up. His biggest one is the Weidman rematch, which makes sense. Uh, that's his million dollars. But I mean, his last pay-per-view was was Israel uh, Adesanya. Care to guess how many that sold? Less than two hundred k. And that's easy. It's a guy that we think of as a star in the sport. Like he. He's not a huge draw. Yes, Jake is, but I do think there's some – I don't know how Jake Paul lasts in this career, and that has always been the question for me, right? Because he can do this as long as he wants. He has infinite money, and he has a will to do so. But I don't know how long his fan base follows him because nobody from boxing is following him for love of the game or the sport. And the only people who are following it from MMA have this perverse desire to see him lose. And I don't even think that's like a huge number of people that are invested in this. And so to my, my belief or understanding of this is that most people are just Jake Paul fans. They were fans of his from something else and they're here to follow this endeavor. But that feels like it has diminishing returns because, okay, it's fun to watch him do this once or twice, but this is fight six or seven. Like did, I don't know how long he can keep doing this thing. And Nate Diaz will bring it back, right? Like, does Nate Diaz, people are going to care because they know that name. The Jake Paul fan base is informed on who Diaz is. But I do think that there are hugely diminishing returns in him continuing down this path. And I think that's probably more to blame than Anderson Silva saying he got knocked out. Damon, I got to say, two to 300,000, at least the it's way I bad. estimated it. 
it was better than I thought it was going to be. Like, I honestly thought that was a better number than I thought it was going to be. So your thoughts on his reaction to it and kind of saying that, listen, if Anderson never says the knockout or knockdown thing, this was doing four to 500,000 pay-per-views. Yeah, I don't, I don't agree with that part of it. I mean, I don't think people really cared that much. I mean, was it a little bit of controversy during fight week? Sure. But you and I, and everyone else knows controversy usually sells pay-per-views, not the other way around. Um, so no, I don't think it had anything to do with that. I think we're just, I think what people tend to forget about is we're in an era where pay-per-view is kind of a dying model. I mean, does it work occasionally still? Sure. When Conor McGregor shows up and fights. Yeah. And, and there's a big Tyson Fury fight occasionally. And, you know, Canelo Alvarez has a fight here or there that sells, but you know, by and large pay-per-view is a dying model. It really is. I mean, we don't get the numbers on the UFC pay-per-views anymore. Uh, we occasionally do when they do really well. And, and we do it when we see like Endeavor does their, uh, you know, their yearly or their quarterly uh, earnings report. Sometimes we'll hear about a pay-per-view, but we don't really hear about that because I'd imagine most UFC pay-per-views aren't doing a lot either because pay-per-view is a dying business. It has been dying for a decade People aren't used to paying 60 or $80 to watch a fight when there's so much other content out there that you can either watch for free or you're already paying 10 bucks a month to a streaming service to watch anyways. So I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a detriment to the whole Anderson Silva thing. I think it's just a detriment to, you know, Jake Paul's fan base is very young. When I went to his fight with Tyron Woodley in Cleveland, I think the average age of the audience member is like 14, uh, teenagers yeah. young people a they don't have money uh you know i remember when i was like in college i could barely you know scrape together enough money to put together some ramen noodles on the weekend uh, much less than 60 dollars to watch a boxing pay-per-view and on top of that i think you know younger people that are fans of jake paul are savvy enough to understand there are places out there where you can watch his fights and not pay 60 dollars. i'm not advocating for it i'm just saying it exists <laughs> Uh, so the reality um, is this was, a, th th this was let me this hop was into that one very quickly, Damon, to add to your point, I got on TikTok recently. Um, not to like <laughs> do my own TikTok things, but cause everyone needs something to do while you're taking a poo. Um, and all my, like it's been doing it and I popped on this weekend and like every third thing that I was going to was somebody live streaming Jake Balls <laughs> Anderson Silva. There were so many of them on TikTok. So, yeah. So, I mean, so like, that's the point, like this was never going to be a five or 600,000 pay-per-view. So we've seen it with the Tyron Woodley rematch. We've seen it time and time again. You know, the fact that Jake Paul can get 300,000 buys is still impressive because that's still more than a lot of you know, UFC cards are doing. That's more than most boxing events are doing. So it's still impressive. Uh, I don't know where this narrative got built that he's somehow going to be selling, you know, 750 or a million, you know, 750,000 to a million pay-per-views. Every time he steps out there, he's just not that dude. And he's just not from an era where people are going to punk down that kind of money to watch him. So I don't think the Anderson Silva thing had anything to do with it. I think it just had more to do with people aren't willing to pay $60 to watch a pay-per-view. And I think there's even less people who are willing to pay $60 to watch Jake Paul in a pay-per-view. And it's not because Jake Paul's not a, a magnetic character or isn't a popular guy, but let's remember Jake Paul got popular on YouTube. How much does it cost to watch YouTube? Nothing. He got popular on Vine. How much did it cost to watch Vine? Nothing. 
How much does it cost to watch TikTok? Nothing. Instagram, nothing. These people are not watching Jake Paul because they've been invested in him his entire life. They're watching him because he used to do stupid things on the internet and they could watch him for free and laugh. And then he'd make money off of advertising on YouTube, advertising on Vine or whatever the case may be. And he got sponsorships, not because his fans were rabid and decided, oh, man, we want to pay $60 to watch Jake Paul jump out of the back of a truck into a pile of dog crap. That's not what he was doing. That's never been his business. So the fact that he's getting 300000 is pretty impressive to me. I, I completely agree with that. Um We'll move on. We'll see what's next for Jake Paul. And the other thing about the estimates real quick is MMA fans getting them on board. I mean, you're asking a lot because two UFC pay-per-views in three weeks, 280, 281, not to mention your, your other bills and things you need to spend money on. It's a tough MMA ask. MMA fans man. already spending like a grand on UFC it's, pay-per-views a year. Yeah, so it's a many. Lot. It's ridiculous. Uh, but the point for round two goes to Jed Bishu, one to one. As we move to one of our favorite topics on the show, how to view the upcoming UFC Fight Night event. This most recent one on paper, as you heard in round one, kind of yikes in delivery. It was kind of yikes on paper. Good main event. Overall, not great. This one, UFC Vegas 64. We were supposed to get Bryce Mitchell versus Bob Zarvloyev as the main event. If Loyev gets hurt, Bryce Mitchell now fighting Ilya Teporia December 10th. Now we're getting Marina Rodriguez versus Amanda Lamos, which is a main event with some stakes. This card, to me, is better on paper than last week. Like I said, main event has at least some stakes. Not what we were originally scheduled to get. Co-main is actually really good. And there are some intriguing storylines and questions that I have heading into this card, much more so than Vegas 63. So, Damon... Your thoughts on this lineup, which is the go-home show, by the way, for UFC 281. I mean, are there more intriguing matchups than last week's UFC Fight Night card? Sure. Uh, but you're also, it's like it's like measuring bad against terrible. I mean, it's really not a lot that you're, you know, complimenting it on. Is it better? Sure. Uh, but you know, that's like saying, you know, that's like saying Halloween ends, Halloween kills is better than Halloween ends. You're really not setting the bar very high there. Um <laughs> The reality is this is a bad card. This is still a bad card. I mean, you know, when they had, uh, you know, Mosvar and, 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 and Bryce Mitchell, that was a really fun main event. And I was up for that one. Uh, Marina Rodriguez and, and Amanda Lemos is just not that intriguing. And in reality, you know, Marina Rodriguez you know, probably deserved to be in a title fight right now. I mean, if it wasn't for her split decision loss to Carlos Barza and everyone liking Zhang Wei Lee so much and her, you know, sending Yoan into retirement with that just nasty spinning back fist, you know, by all other metrics, Marina probably would have been in the title fight, but, you know, be that as it may, she's not. And so she's getting Amanda Lemos instead. So there's some stakes in that fight, I guess. I mean, if Amanda Lemos wins and, and Rodriguez loses, is anyone going to cry that, oh my God, we lost out on a number one contenders fight? Because no, I mean, go back and watch the first fight with Carla and, uh, and Marina. It wasn't exactly the most thrilling contest in the world. And Marina and Zhang Wei Li, is anyone screaming for that fight? So you know, the stakes are fairly low. I mean, I like Neil Magny and, and Daniel Rodriguez. That's a fun fight. I like Grant Dawson and Marco Madsen. That's an interesting fight. But again, stakes are basically zero. I mean, there's nothing on the line here. What what really the stakes are in this fight, the UFC is continuously putting these cards on where they're just daring you to watch. They're like, let's see how far down the, the, the roster we can go to headline a card. And people will still tune in on a Saturday night to watch these fights because I think it's really apparent 
that they're stacking pay-per-views to the gills now and they want you to pay $80 to watch the pay-per-views and they really, really don't seem to care much about these fight night cards because, you know, years ago when they lost a main event like this, they might shift people around. They might you know try to move a fight off a pay-per-view and headline this card. They might take, you know, I, I don't think they're going to take, you know, uh, Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler necessarily, but there's enough fights on UFC 281. They might shift that one a week earlier, but they don't care. They don't care now. They want you to buy the $80 pay-per-view, and they don't care about the Fight Night card. So that's what we're seeing here. We're, we're, we are literally seeing the UFC daring you not to watch. Jed, your thoughts? Challenge accepted. Uh, look, I've been giving this speech a lot on various programs, it feels. This isn't a good card. It's fine. And I don't want to yuck your yum. If you're really stoked about this, if you're a big Marina Rodriguez fan or, or whatever – um, or you just have nothing else to do on Saturday nights and you love watching fights. And that's great. Tune in, enjoy it because life's short. Do the things you like on paper. This isn't very good. It is probably better than last week's. Uh, but that's really done take too much as Dan was saying for the cream to rise to the top there. There's some things that are interesting here. Um, it, it's just, I. Honestly, truth be told, part of uh, this part of this is just fatigue. There's simply so much of it that even if these fights are fun, 46 fight cards a year is a lot on top of Bellator, on top of PFL, top of one championship and stuff. And it's it, it is just a lot of content to to deal with. And so cards like this, which maybe aren't awful, like even in principle, it, it still just feels less. And Dirty secret, dirty truth of it is, feels less because the main event, and that's it. Like, frankly, people get far more excited about events that have more interesting main events. And I love Marina Rodriguez. I think she deserves to be fighting for a title already. The strawweight division broke, so she didn't get to. Unfortunate. If she wins this, she should be the first title challenger for Wiley Zhang after Zhang wins the belt on next Saturday. But maybe that won't happen because MMA is a weird sport and nobody seems to care. But nobody cares, and that's the problem. Like, if she goes out here and beats Amanda Lemos, it's a great win, and 10 people are going to stand up and take notice. And that's – a lot of that's on the UFC for just being dog shit promoters. Frankly, some of it's on the fighters for not being more interesting. Like, that, I know that, that you don't feel that that's your job, that your job is to fight and to train. And okay, but you also just have to accept that – under those standards, you're going to be the Arnold Allens of the world where you're a great dude, great fighter, maybe the best fighter in the world. And we're never going to know for 12 years because you aren't doing the other piece of it. And Marina Rodriguez and Amanda Lemos have not done anything to really captivate you. And it's it, it just is what it is with this fight card. And so, again, I'm not actually watching. I have Saturday off because UJ is playing Tennessee and I'm going to just be out of my mind. Uh, but I will tune in to MMAfighting.com. It's a great website, and it's going to have all my coverage needs. I can look and see where my bets have won and lost. I can see any of the appropriate highlights, which I'm sure we'll have up. Uh, and then maybe on Sunday when I'm nursing a real bad hangover, I will I, I will go on to ESPN and I'll rewatch maybe the whole event, maybe some of the fights. Because, uh, again, there are things here. Mark Madsen, Grant Dawson, that's probably not a fun fight if we're being real. But it's a really relevant, really good fight for what should be a top 15 ranking, basically. Like the winner of that should be 
universally considered a top 15 lightweight in the world. Uh, co-main event, I love D-Rod. Daniel Rodriguez, I think he's one of the top welterweights in the world. Neil Magny, been one of the top welterweights for a long time. Great fight. Main event, could determine a title challenger. Uh, yeah, that's actually about it, though. I was trying to <laughs> pull a fourth, and there aren't, there isn't a fourth one. I mean not a real one so you got three solid fights in there and and maybe some of those other fights turn out fun who can say but i'm not holding my breath or or telling my friends hey you guys drop what you're doing saturday night you got to tune into this this is something to keep the wheel spinning until we get to 281 next week which is a legitimately awesome card and i'm very excited about we'll talk about 281 in a moment but last thing on this Jed, you mentioned should. We say the word should. We say deserves. And as Damon taught me many, many years ago, and I was breaking into this crazy sport of ours from a media side, you're supposed to strike the word deserves from your vocabulary. So you're going to be in the UFC matchmaker's shoes right now. Answer this question and give some context to it. True or false, a Marina Rodriguez win gets her a title shot next. Her next fight will be for the belt. True or false? Is this in like real life or in my, 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 I have the magic pen life. This is real life. Oh, false. That's a shame, <laughs> but false. Uh, in my fantasy world, she gets it because I've, I've never seen her lose. I know that she technically has a loss on her record, but I've never seen it. Um, she's, she's not like the world's greatest fighter, but she keeps winning and she keeps beating really good people. And, at some point she deserves to have her day in court but no Wiley Zhang is going to uh, absolutely obliterate Carlos Barza next week uh I had tip my hat I was talking with Connor Burks beforehand tune in to no best bar next week cause I'm gonna do my second ever all-in bet uh because Wiley Zhang is going to just stomp Carlos Barza in horrible fashion and once she's a champion then they're just gonna do Rose Wiley again because they've already fought twice and they really want Rose to have the belt. I, I, it just seems like that's what is overwhelmingly likely to happen. Uh, unless Jessica Andrade ends up coming. I know she's got a fight booked, but uh, against Laura Murphy, but you know, she's kind of flitting around. It just feels like they're never going to give Marina her day in court. And so she won't get one. True or false, Damon. Marina's getting a title shot with a win. Uh, false, uh, because we live in a world where <laughs> things things are not fair in this sport. And the reality is, I'm with Jed. Listen, I don't. I know he thinks that you know Zhang Willie is just going to curb stomp Carla. I don't go that far, only because you know Carla does have wrestling, and there's a potential she could she could slow down Zhang Willie. But if Carla wins, I mean, did you Marina see the video? Did you see the video, but, Damon? It just I got did. posted, I, so maybe you didn't because it's in our slide. I'm not saying. I'm not saying I'm picking her. I'm just saying there's a chance. I mean, there's a chance here. So, but if Zhang Weili wins, it's exactly what you said. It's going to be Rose Namunas. They're going to do the trilogy there because Rose, they want Rose's champion and they're not going to rematch her with Carlos Spars against. They're going to throw her in there against Zhang Weili and it's a, and it's a bigger fight. Uh, Marina Rodriguez, if she wins this weekend, she better become the biggest Carlos Spars fan. She better be out there with pom-poms and a, and a, you know, a rooting section at UFC 281 because that's the only way she has a hope and a prayer of getting a title shot is if Carla somehow pulls off the upset and beat Jane Wei Lee. 
Uh, and <laughs> because and otherwise, what's probably going to happen is Marina Rodriguez will win, Zhang Wei Li will win, and then they're going to say, Jessica Andrade, after you get through uh, Lauren Murphy, you want to come back down to Strawweight and fight Marina Rodriguez? There's your reward, Marina. You got to fight Jessica Andrade. Uh, cause that's, what's going to happen. There's, there's just, there's just no buzz for Marina Rodriguez getting a title shot, even though she is legitimately the person most deserving right now. And, uh, much like Benil Dariush and much like Arnold Allen, we don't live in a fair world where wins get you title shots anymore. So no false probably won't get a title shot. Probably won't get it for another fight. She'll probably have to fight Jessica Andrade or, uh, you know, uh, Yan Zhao Nan or, or so, you know, again, a rematch or Mackenzie Dern or she'll fight somebody else. Cause I doubt she's getting a title shot. I mean, now that we have sold you this card for Saturday, join us for the People's Pre-Fight Show, 3.30 on Saturday, and we'll get you right over the hump to get you ready for UFC Vegas 64. So we will move on here. The point for round three goes to... Damon Martin, two to one. Way to close. Way to close. Did you know how many wins Marina Rodriguez has over top 15 opposition? I'm just looking at this right now. It's like, I think she might have beaten more top people than anybody else in the division. Yanjo Nan, Mackenzie Durham, Michelle Watterson, Amanda Hebos, Tisha Torres. That's five wins. <laughs> And, and she's no closer to title contention. And she and she should have beaten Carla Sparza. Like it's this is wild that she is this far away. <laughs> All right. So we will I think everybody's looking at next Saturday. So during the UFC Vegas 63 broadcast, we got the reveal, like the full-on reveal of next Saturday's UFC 281 lineup, which includes the the way they put the main card together, putting the puzzle pieces in. We got the two title fights, Adesanya Pereira, Esparza Whaley, which we just talked about, Poirier Chandler, Edgar Gutierrez, which is slated to be Frankie's final fight. Dan Hooker versus Claudio Poyas will open up the main card. So, Jed, what do you think? Brian Campbell talked about like events that are considered quote-unquote majors for the UFC, and November is kind of one of them. MSG, you want to load that up? So... Do you like this card as a whole for an MSG event? Is the made card lineup the way you would have put it together? Um, well, no, just to that in general, because I, on the record, I, I hate this Frankie fight. I think it's awful. Just really, really bad matchmaking as far as I'm concerned. Uh, 281 is good as a whole, though. It, I don't think it's as good as 280. Um, I think there's a really strong argument that, well, I, I don't. I think objectively the main card is not nearly as good as 280. Uh, I think you can make a pretty compelling argument that the rest of the card in total is better than 280. Uh, but certainly the the part you're paying for in the pay-per-view, not as good. Uh, but it's still very good. I mean, you've got the Izzy Pajeda rematch, or three match, I guess. I don't even know if we're calling it a trilogy fight, given kickboxing versus MMA. But that fight's awesome. Uh, we're going to have a new strawweight champion. That's going to be pretty cool. Uh, Poirier Michael Chandler... I'm assuming that ends up in the top five for fight of the year this year, just based on how those guys like to get after it. Uh, I don't like the Frankie fight. Dan Hooker, Claudio Puez, whatever. Um, but still, the rest of the card, very, very good. Uh, you know it's good, Mike, when everybody has a wiki. When every fighter on the card has a Wikipedia page, almost never happens anymore for UFC events. But you know they've at least given you, like, real fights between real people with real stakes and consequences and purpose. 
Uh, and yeah, it's just, it's, I would have done something cooler for Frankie Edgar. Dominic Cruz is the correct answer. I know that Cruz coming off the L it's tough to make that timeline work, et cetera, but this is just the worst sort of matchmaking in that Frankie, Frankie just wanted to fight in New York. That was it. He wanted to do this. And I get that. They didn't give him like Chris Gutierrez might win this fight. Like he's a really decent chance to win this fight. I'm not saying he will, but even if, if he doesn't, Frankie really just goes, gets to go out with a win. Cool. But it's not a win that means anything. Like no one's going to remember this as a win. If he loses, it's a really, really awful way to lose, and it doesn't build anybody up because Chris Gutierrez is not a dude you're building a name off of from the Frankie fight. Um, it's like when Alex Morono fought Cowboy. Like, it just what was that doing for anybody at the time? It just was a fight that we made. Uh, I would have loved them to do something cooler for him for his farewell, uh, or just give him a total squasher, like just total can. If if you're just if you can't find any name that works, give him a total softball. Um, and then Dan Hooker called it plays it's whatever. Um, I would probably, frankly, have rather had Brad Riddell, Hanato Moicano on the main card. So I think that fight is going to be awesome. But, you know, tomato, tomato. No no real wrong way to eat this Reese's. Damon, your thoughts? Main card, I would agree, is probably not as strong as 280, although I would say it's close. You know, I would say that uh, – you know, when you got the Chukagian versus Fior fight, that's a really, really bad fight to lead off a main card. And, it's a number one contender uh, match, even if the fight's trash. But it's still it a terrible was. fight. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, Hooker and Poyes is fine. I, I Listen, I'm, you know, I'm an old school guy. I love Frankie Edgar. I, I agree with Jed. This is a terrible bit of matchmaking, not necessarily because Gutierrez is going to wipe the floor with Frankie Edgar or anything, but there's just no interest in Chris Gutierrez. This is all about Frankie Edgar's retirement fight. And the UFC is just de demonstrably terrible at matchmaking their, their legends. I mean, they're just really bad at this. When a guy is like on his last legs going out, they're really bad at matchmaking in this particular instance. They literally just throw a, a you know, throwing darts at a, at, a, at a board and say, Oh, Chris Gutierrez. Sure. Why not? Uh, because we have no other reason to throw this fight together, but it is Frankie's final fight. Uh, it'll be cool to see him go out, walk out to, you know, kick in the door here in Notorious B.I.G. one last time, you know, rocking on a pay-per-view. He'll actually get an entrance on a pay-per-view, which we don't normally get on ESPN Plus. So that would be pretty cool. Poirier Chandler's ridiculous. I mean, that, you know, I know Jan O'Malley was kind of like the equal to this. That is, I think, even potentially a better fight because we know based on history that these two guys are going to go out there and beat beat each other into brain damage. So it's going to be incredible. Uh, you know, the, the co-main event, listen, you know, I mean, Zhang Weili and, and Carlos Barza is not the most compelling main event, but, you know, it's, it's a title fight. And then I'm super intrigued by cool Adesanya. <laughs> I'm super intrigued by Adesanya and Pereira. But top to bottom, I would argue 281 is a better overall card because when you look at the prelims, the prelims are really good. I mean, you got Dominic Reyes coming back against Ryan Spann. That's a really intriguing matchup. What does Dominic Reyes come back and look like, you know, after such a long layoff and some really tough losses? That'll be interesting. Molly McCann, Aaron Blanchfield. Molly McCann's had these couple, you know, highlight reel knockouts. Aaron Blanchfield is, in my opinion, one of the best prospects in the 125-pound division. That's a really intriguing fight. Brad Riddell and Hinata Moicano is actually a really fun fight. Like, I'm actually really intrigued by that when Moicano has been really fun to watch uh, since he's gone to lightweight. So this is a really – so top to bottom – you know, I'd argue top to bottom, it's a better card overall. I mean, you got you got um, Matt Frivola and Otman Azaitar on the, on the prelims. That's a really good fight. Otman's undefeated. 
huge knockout power. That's a really interesting fight. Andre Petrovsky's on the on the undercard. I really like him. He's a really fun prospect. So top to bottom, 281, I think it's better. But for the $80 pay-per-view, I would say it's still not as good as 280. But it's a really good card. And this is one of the times where I would say it's worth buying the card. Like where I look at this card top to bottom, if I was a paying fan, I would say, yeah, this is this is worth a pay-per-view because this is actually a really good card. Damon Damon didn't even mention the best part of the undercard. I mean, he mentioned it, but he didn't mention why. Otman Isatar versus Matt Frivola. We finally get this fight. We've been waiting over a year since they were originally booked, and then the whole what's in the bag. Oh, that's I, right. What's in the bag thing? The that's right. For breaking COVID protocols. And they cut him, and then they're like, ah, never mind. You come on back. And they booked it a year later. So a year a year and some change later, we finally get that fight. They need to they need to pull a promo with that one and just put in like just replace uh box with bag and do the seven thing. Have Brad Pitt yes. go, what's in the bag? <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's going to be my low-key banger if you were asking that question. Like, not for any reason other than I think it's hilarious. We'll, we'll talk more about 281 next week, I'm sure. But for time purposes, we will move on. The point for round four goes to... What's in the bag? A point for Jed Bashu. It's two to two. <laughs> What's in the box? What's in the box? All right. So that means... We have one more question. One more question. It's a knockout round. Each individual will have 60 seconds to answer said question. And then you guys can go to the poll. You can vote on who you thought was the victor in this exhibition match between Jed Mishu and Damon Martin. And Jed, you got a win in last week's exhibition match. So what would you like to do? Would you like to go first or would you like to pass this over to Damon? It's just one question, multiple options, but... One question. Oh, multiple options, so it doesn't really matter. Um, I mean, it's it's the same question. You're just choosing which one is better. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, let's uh, let's just go ahead and go first. Screw it. Why not? All right. So, Jed, one of the most important things. Anyway. I've actually, yes, I, I've actually uh, taken this mantra into the heck household with my nine year old. We have been pre we have been preaching since the, the end of UFC 280 to do the thing just do the thing because the thing is the thing and it's so important to do the thing let's talk about the thing being done since ufc 280 in the ufc's bantamweight division jed mishu i see your your face buried in your hands and for good reason so my question is i'm gonna make this nice and simple who has done the best job at doing the thing since ufc 280 trying to make the top of this division the most interesting. Is it the champion of the world, Aljamain Sterling? Is it the number one ranked Sean O'Malley? Is it Henry Cejudo? Option four is other. One minute on the clock. Your time starts now. I hate that you were about to make me say this, but the only defensible answer is Henry Cejudo. I want to be extremely clear. I've been really clear in all our other programming I don't like Henry Cejudo. I don't want him to fight uh, ever, and I really don't want him to fight for a title because it will not end well. He will just immediately, if he wins the belt, he's not fighting anybody. He's just going to do the Volkanovski and or quit thing again. There's no reason to have him in here. But 
Sterling has fumbled this in the most heroically awful way in recent memory by not just calling Sean O'Malley and then getting all mad about like people being like, why are you not doing the thing? People get mad, whatever. Uh, he can't be it. And Sean O'Malley is still not even really doing the thing. He's like only kind of tacitly doing it. like, yeah, well, you know, but like, I'd kind of rather fight Cheeto and cool. Fight for the belt, man. Do the thing. Henry's the only guy who's standing up and be like, pick me. I would like to fight for the belt, please. And if, if Aljo wants to sit out, I will fight Sugar Sean O'Malley because that's a big bag of money and a belt. I would like those things. Let me do the thing. All right. Damon, we go to you. Who has done the thing best since UFC 280? Is it Aljamain Sterling, Sean O'Malley, Henry Cejudo, or somebody else? One minute on the clock. Go. Well, the reality is nobody has done a great job of this. You know, less less funny. Uh, you know, Henry Cejudo's not. I mean, I just I can't take it. His whole Ronald McDonald thing. I mean, that's like less funny Colby Covington shtick. It's really bad. Um, so I'm going to say Sean O'Malley, and I'm not saying it because he's legitimately selling himself. But the reality is he has the win. He has the win, and that's all that should matter. He beat Peter Yan. He beat Piotr Yan. That's all that should matter to anybody right now. Uh, split decision or not, he has the biggest win. He did come out and say, you know, I mean, listen, he's had a couple of moments on social media. He did the MMA hour the other day. Uh, it seems like he's the most legitimate guy, and he's actually the guy who has done the most to actually get here based upon wins and losses. So, yeah, it's it's Sean O'Malley. It's not the most deserving guy. I mean, it's not, he's not really oversold himself, but he did the damn thing at UFC 280, and that's what matters most. All right. So there we go. Three intriguing options. It's it's like who has done, I don't know, who who is the least wrong? That's kind of the question here. It's not like who's done it best. It's who is the least wrong. I don't know. But we have three guys. This division has literally done nothing since UFC 280 because of the champion because of him. And I was actually leaning Suhudo a little bit because he at least called out Sean O'Malley. I hated the interim idea because it's not going to happen. And he's trying. Is, is he? Yeah, kind of, but he's the only one who looks like he's actively making an effort. He's making an effort because nobody cares to see Henry Cejudo fight any of these guys. That's the problem. Like no one is screaming for Henry Cejudo to fight Sterling. No one is screaming for Henry Cejudo to fight uh, O'Malley, Cheeto. That's the problem. He's, he's banging the drum in an empty room because no one is listening. Literally nobody's listening. But Nobody effort, is listening. Effort matters. Just, just try. But just go. Just try. Yeah. Just, just fight anybody, Henry. Just, I'm telling you, go fight anybody. Go fight anybody. If you win, people will start talking about it. You will get your title shot. But literally, fight, fight Song Yidong. Fight Chris Gutierrez. I don't give a shit. Fight him. <laughs> that gets you a title shot in my eyes. Just fight somebody. Show yeah, I don't really know why Henry didn't try and fight Frankie. I, that feels like that's actually what he should have done. <laughs> Just like, well, like, Frankie wants to fight at MSG. Let's do it. I'll do it. I'll well, send him off. That's what I, I said this exact thing when I interviewed Aljamain Sterling a few days ago when we were talking about this, and Aljamain said he wants to take a break till June, which, you know, I have no problem with that. He's been an active champion. Sure. Six months is really not that long of a layoff. I said, Henderson is banging the drum for a title fight. Why doesn't he go out and fight Corey Sanhagen? Go out and fight Cheeto Vera. And then if you win, people are going to be calling for you to get a title shot. Right now, nobody yeah. cares. Nobody cares. I will That's never I call for that man to get a title shot. <laughs> That's all I want. Just show us. You can't can. trust him. You show literally can't real. give him a title fight. 
You cannot do it. You can't. The moment he wins the belt, he is going to do the exact same thing. So you just can't ever let him fight for the title. Fight somebody else. Fight somebody else. Show us you care. That's all. That's all. Fight Max. Fight Max. Do that, Henry. We don't have anything else to do with Max. That's an idea. That's an idea. If he beats Max, he gets the the triple C shot. I like. I like. If he beats Max, then then he can fight Volk. Cool. Nobody will argue that. Just fight somebody. Fight Max. I did it. I solved all your problems, Henry. Clip this and send it to him. All right. Well, vote in the poll. Vote in the poll. Is it Jed? Is it Damon in this hypothetical exhibition matchup? Uh, We have Heckin' Warning tomorrow, 10 a.m. Eastern. We'll do it again. Preview show for UFC Vegas 64. I'm sure it'll be a long, a long one going down at 3 p.m. Eastern. Saturday, 3.30 p.m. Eastern, we'll have the People's Pre-Fight Show. We'll react to everything after the main event. And then AK and I are back on Sunday for some matchmaking on, on to the next one. And then it's on to UFC 281, and we'll have some fun things in store for all of you. So are we good, Casey? We are good, sir. We have a winner. Okay. Who wins? We have a winner. Exhibitions don't go to the judges. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys obviously haven't watched enough boxing exhibitions. Sorry, raise both your hands. Didn't Duran, Duran Williams, Frank Gore went to the judges. Did uh, it? Sure did. Your winner today with 60% of the votes is... Jed Mishu. Jed Mishu. Not even celebrating because it's not. It doesn't matter. It's not a a real competition. This is the ultimate fighter. You just want to fight on the ultimate fighter. (laughs) It's just, ooh, do I get a a six-figure contract? Yes, you get a six-figure contract, but you got to keep winning. You got to keep winning. Uh, Anything you'd like to say about uh, Uh, people? You're 2-0 on these exhibition matches. Are, are you leaning towards a comeback anytime soon? I am not. I do have something to say. I had hoped that deep in your heart of hearts you would understand what was going on this weekend. But you didn't, and we didn't talk about it. So I'm going to shout it out right now because, sure, the UFC is back this weekend. And, yeah, 281's next weekend. But also, this weekend, Fight Circus 4, baby. It is now on Fight TV I won't lie, I'm a little bit sad that the cam soda aspect of this has shifted away to a much more reputable website and Fight TV, but I can only assume it's going to be the same sort of anarchy and lunacy that the other three have been, which if you've followed any of my content for any amount of time, you know that I have been a huge supporter of what they do. Check it out on Fight TV. You're going to at least enjoy yourself, even if maybe it's not the best thing you've ever seen. Do we have what's what's if there's one fight on the card that you have to watch? Like, what's the rule set? Is oh, there anything it's, crazy? It's it's always the asymmetrical championships. Those are the fights that are the most fun. <laughs> the the two on one fights. Uh, they've got some other things. They've got a wheel of violence this time around, which is spinning the wheel. Uh, I think though I may have this wrong that they're doing an all kicking versus only punching fight, uh, <laughs> which is going to be great. So it's just a bunch of lunacy like that. And I'm going to watch. So you should watch too. Fight TV. Check it out. 
And you see, Fight, Fight Circus always does the right thing. They listen to the program. They take our advice that we give to other promotions. And they just they notice that none of these promotions take this advice. And then they do it themselves. Because now they have a wheel. And the Wheel of Violence is going to be the, the most The Wheel of Violence is such card. a good idea. <laughs> it's, it's a great the idea. There, why are, why are more... have a wheel, too. Yeah, why are more MMA promotions not ripping off this idea? Because Bellator should 100% have a wheel of violence fight. Like, they 100% should steal that idea. Who knows? Who, who, who? I think, honestly, probably because they are, I can only assume, loosely sanctioned. Hey, it here, happens in Thailand. If, I don't know that there's oversight that's going on. If, I promote, if, we if, promote that. If Bellator does it, I'll promote that, Josh Thompson. I'll promote the Wheel of Violence fight, Josh. Li are you listening, Josh? I will promote a Wheel of Violence fight in Bellator. Get it done over there. You got it. You work for them. Get it done. Also, I want to clarify because I just pulled it up. Uh, the kicking only versus punching only is called Upstairs Downstairs, Only Legs and Only Arms. <laughs> and it features T.T. Denman, who has been on all three of the other fight circuses in the human cockfighting, which is their kick only fights. It's going to be awesome. I mean, this is the event of the weekend, ladies and gentlemen. So it really is. On. I, we, we might even cover it. There's a chance we're going to cover this bad boy, and uh, I can't wait. I hope I get we, the hot tag. If we don't cover it, 1,000% next week's Missed Fist will just be a fight circus thing, because every other fight circus one, AK and I have just covered it on Missed Fist. Oh, my God. It's all right, you best. can hit the exit music, Casey. We are done. Uh, thank you all for watching. We'll see you tomorrow. Programming the usual weekend kickoff stuff like I mentioned earlier. For Jed Bashu, for Damon Martin, I am Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn will take you home. Big shout out to Casey on the ones and twos. We'll see you back here next week before UFC 281 on BTL. Good night, everybody. Love you guys. This has been Between the Links, a mixed martial arts studio production. Thank you for watching. Click the subscribe button. Thanks, Esther. I'm Esther Lynn. Happy birthday, Yankee! You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.